everybody, Kendra the Vet Tech here, and I am here with the part four and final episode in my mini series on education options to get you started as a credentialed veterinary technician. So with me today is Paige Allen. She is an RVT, and she's going to chat with us today about the program she's part of at Purdue. So welcome, Paige. Would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, yes, Kendra, thank you so much for inviting me to talk with you today. I'm excited to talk about Purdue's program. Um, I am a current uh, academic advisor with the College of Veterinary Medicine, specifically with our veterinary nursing students. And uh, I have been an RVT for, I don't know, 34, 35 years, some very long time. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and it seems like yesterday, but um, yeah, very long time. So I've worked in the hospital. I've, I helped develop our distance learning program here at Purdue. And then a couple of years ago, this role as head academic advisor opened up and it just gives me an opportunity to reach out and engage and, and talk with people, prospective students and our current students also. So you are the perfect gal for the job today then. All uh, right. We hope so. <laughs> so yeah, Purdue's program offers multiple different options to receive your degree and become a credentialed veterinary technician. But what I would like to really focus on today with this being a university is chatting about your four-year program. So this is something that's not as common of a path. According to the list you gave me, it looks like there were 25 universities that are recognized by the AVMA as being able to provide this four-year degree. So that's what I'd like to chat with you today about. And I, I always like to start at the top with these little education programs. So what's the application process like? I'm feeling a little nervous for potential applicants because you already told me it is a super competitive process. So tell me about that. Yeah, so um, I, I appreciate you pointing out all of the bachelor's degree programs. A lot of people don't know that those are out there, and they usually reside like like at a four-year college like Purdue. The, by far, the majority of vet tech or vet nursing programs are in community colleges or smaller schools. So the application process is... It, it can be a little <laughs> convoluted. It can intimidate me. Even. I know. It sounds really hard. Yeah. So it really isn't. We have an online application process. We admit students to our on-campus program in the fall semester only. So people who are interested in applying, like let's say for fall of 21, the application process is open right now and it closes in November. And then what happens is um, after the process closes, applicants are evaluated and we admit students into the first year of the curriculum. So the first year of our curriculum, chemistry, biology, math, English, speech class, kind of all the traditional freshman, college freshman courses. And so then what happens after that? So that's freshman admission. Does that make sense at this point? So there's an application process online. You get admitted to Purdue. You come here in the fall and you start classes. Right. Yeah. And that's what I was noticing on this great little curriculum that you sent over to me, that it looks like all of the, the first semester class, or excuse me, the first year classes are those gen eds that we need to get out of the way to get the degree. So I guess I'd like to take just half a step back. It doesn't look like there are any type of prerequisites that are needed, though. Is that right? Well, yes and no. So there are okay. high school requirements. So what we require, and thank you for asking that question. Yeah. Um, so high school requirements are pretty standard also. They're really the admissions application for Purdue. So eight semesters of high school math, eight semesters of high school English, six semesters of 
what, what I call lab science. And for our program, two semesters have to be chemistry and two semesters have to be biology. And then there's also a four semester foreign language expectations. So those are standard Purdue University admissions criteria. Wow. Okay. So then you come to Purdue, you do your first year, and then there's a second processor. So we usually admit around, well, this year we admitted 30, I think it was 36 students to our freshman class. So there then is a second process that happens in the spring of what I would call the, a student's freshman year. And that is admissions into our clinical part of the program. And in our clinical part of the program, we only admit 30 students. So in addition to the anybody who's been admitted as a freshman, we also look at students who are in other majors on Purdue's campus who might want to come over to us. So they started maybe in exploratory studies or in animal science, and they've taken these ba same basic freshman courses. Or students who come from other colleges who maybe have done those freshman courses. And they all... So all of those people have to fill out what we call our experience report. And so it asks some questions. Do you know the difference between a veterinary technician and a veterinarian? What's your animal experience? What's your veterinary experience? What's your leadership experience? What sort of organizations have you belonged to? And what have you done community service kind of wise? So we look at those answers to those questions along with GPA, college GPAs from their first semester, along with anything else. The last question on that survey is, or on that questionnaire is like, is there anything else you want to tell us about yourself? So it's your opportunity to really share why you want to do what you want to do and what you want, us, what you want the admissions committee to know about you. Yeah. Then all of those applications are reviewed. And traditionally, historically, I probably should say historically, we get about around 90 to 100 applicants for those 30 slots. We weed that down. I don't mean it to sound that way. <laughs> we, look at the, we look, we do a holistic review of all of the um, applications. And then we offer interviews to probably about 50 to 60 people for those wow. 30 slots. Wow. Yeah, that's, that is very competitive. And you know, when you were initially saying these numbers, I was like, oh, 36 to 30. Okay. You know, you got a pretty good chance of making it in, even if all 36 were great candidates, but I didn't even think about that, all the outside, if you will, outside from Purdue, outside from other universities that would also meet this criteria. So, wow. Yeah. That, that is a pretty good size pool just to even get in. Yeah. But I think, you know, we really want the best of the best. We really want students who will be challenged, who will rise to the occasion. One of the things, and I don't know, Kendra, where you want to go at this point, but I always like to talk a little bit about the clinical years of the program and some of the benefits of Purdue. Yeah. Well, so, that is absolutely where I would love to go next. I just wanted to clarify with you really quick, looking at, at my curriculum that you sent me here, it does say the College of Veterinary Medicine at the top. So this is another a distinguishing thing with the university is you're actually part of the College of Veterinary Medicine that puts out DVMs, yes? Correct. 
Correct. So yeah, we are one of five that are integrated into a college of veterinary medicine. Our program graduated its first class in 1976. So that's how long we have been integrated with the, with the college of vet med with the veterinary student. So when you come into that second year, you immediately on day one are in clinics with patients. So we have a veterinary teaching hospital. So as a second year student, they're in the hospital right away, working with working with patients, working with DVM students, working with vet techs or vet nurses that are on staff, working with specialists, so board certified surgeons, board certified certified um, medical internists. So. Purdue is really a tertiary facility. So um, we do have what's called a, oh, and I'm going to get the name wrong. I call it the wellness group, but I don't think that's what they're (laughs) called anymore, but kind of a community practice Uh so that our students get to see, right, vaccinations and spays and neuters and not just all all the really odd and weird stuff. But in year two and year three, between year two and three, so those two years, our students, when they finish with their associate in the summer of their after their third year, they will have received 1,200 hours of hands-on clinical experience in our veterinary teaching hospital. Wow. Wow. That is just, that is invaluable just right there, just that part. And yeah, so that's what I'd love to go into now is we made it through this very rigorous and very competitive process to actually get into your program. So yay, congratulations, anyone who makes it into the Purdue program. That's amazing. So now we'll be moving into our second year here. So again, I just want to lay this out for people that your structure runs similar to the community college and high schools where we start a new year in the fall. And then we have a second semester of that year in the springtime. And so that's what we'd be looking at, you know, moving along, moving down the line here. So starting our second year then in the fall. And so what would we be seeing then, Paige? So great question. So in the fall, first fall, so on Mondays is clinical rotation and those students spend all day, essentially eight to five in the hospital and they rotate in different areas. So large animal surgery, small animal medicine, oncology, ophthalmology, all of the different specialties. So they rotate, they're only there one day. It's really their orientation to the hospital. So, and that the really cool thing about this is that At the same time, if you looked at the curriculum, our fourth year students are also in the hospitals on Mondays. So we have our fourth year veterinary nursing students mentoring our second year veterinary nursing students so that they get to know their upperclassmen. They get to be learn that it's not that they can succeed, right? That somebody before them made it. (laughs) So we love that pairing. So that happens on Monday. And then the students are in classes Tuesday through Friday. So regular didactic classes with labs. So um, they do introduction to veterinary nursing. They learn about medical math. The the favorite topic of all of us in the world is math. Yeah. (laughs) Right? We all hate it, but we all know we have to do it. Yes, that is Um, true. You know, I was just going to try and clarify at this point as well, since you brought up the the in-class times, kind of what the time commitment looks like weekly. So, you know, we talked about a few different programs that are on campus that have solid class time commitments of approximately 20-ish hours a week. I was just wondering how, how that looks at Purdue. 
I'm not sure I've ever added up the hours. So they're in clinics all day on Mondays. And then really what I tell students is as they're preparing and, and coming into the program is to plan to be in our building. So everything happens in our building to be to plan on being here from eight to five every day. Okay. Um, because, so truly like a full-time job then. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they have breaks between classes, but most students don't live close. They live in the residence halls, maybe that are further on the other end of campus because we have a pretty big campus. Okay. Um, and so we have a place that they can have lunch. They can get, buy lunch here or their refrigerators where they can put their lunch. And most of them stay here during the day and study because it takes longer to get home, eat lunch, turn around and come back. So they are usually here on average eight to five every day for years two and three. Okay. And that's an interesting point that you brought up too with the residence halls. That's not not an option for private programs. And then, you know, some community colleges are a little hit and miss. So that would be another great bonus of a university is you have that on-campus living situation, potentially for all four years if you wanted it. Absolutely. And and there are students who live on campus their first year and then find roommates or friends and they end up living with them year two, three, and four in an apartment or a house that's closer to campus. And you know, Kendra, can I back up just a second to back to first year for just a minute? Absolutely. One of the things that I love, and this was only our second year of doing it, is we have what's called a learning community for our freshman students. So as we talked about, they're out, what I say is on main campus. And so we never got to see them. They didn't really get to see us. They were like admitted to our program. And then they were these nebulous students out there. And we were those nebulous people that they had no idea who we were, right? <laughs> so we started a learning community. You, the, and, and this is a Purdue thing. It's not just us. So students could opt into the learning community. We did not require residential housing so that if they wanted to live off campus, they could. But they have a class with us once a week. So they come over and the other advisor, Shelly and I teach that class um, and we teach them study skills. We bring in our diversity officer and she talks about diversity in college and also in veterinary medicine, or I guess I really should say the lack thereof, right? Yeah. And uh, we bring people from our academic success center. We have our, our college psychologist come and talk. And so it's really, they get over here every day or every week. They're over in this building. We also do outside activities. So just Wednesday night, we have had dinner with them. We invited them over to the college for dinner. We brought upperclassmen to come and mingle with them again, just to start building that community. You know, Purdue's campus is 35,000 students. Yeah. And so we have this little group of 36 students who they're out there. And so we want them to get to know each other. And so we started what's called, and the learning community's name is All Creatures Great and Small. Oh. And we made them buy the book and we're making them yeah. read the book. And yeah. If you guys don't know, that's James Harriet. It's a very good book. You should check it out. That is so great. That's great that you try to take care of them from the very, very beginning and make them feel included in your program at a time when it seems like, you know, physically they're not, they're, they're not in your building. They're not taking your courses. So that's great. That's, I think that's a really good thing for emotional and, and mental well-being that is oftentimes overlooked, but very, very important. So yeah. kudos to you guys. And I don't know if you heard me mention, so I said we had the school, the college psychologists come and talk to them. We are one of the few colleges of veterinary medicine. We actually have two people on staff who are available only for the students. So oh. when they're stressed or they need wellness or they need somebody to talk to and they need assistance and it's free to students to set up appointments and visit with either one of our clinicians that are here for them. That's a really great resource while you're 
getting through these very rigorous programs for sure. All right, Paige. Well, I think we kind of mostly covered the fall semester of second year. So getting started in our kind of introductory technician classes and getting started with our clinicals, introduction to the clinic at the wonderful teaching hospital that you guys have access to. That's amazing. So then we would move into our spring semester. And what does that look like for us? So spring semester rotations move to Fridays and then students have classes Monday through Thursday and it's the same sorts of things. So we did anatomy and physiology in the fall. So we're going to move into some of the, and we learned handling and techniques for large and small animal patients. So they're going to move into the second level nursing courses and start really getting some more hands-on experience in lab. They also also start, clin, they do clin path in that spring semester. Mm. That's another clin kind path. of challenge. <laughs> Right? Ugh, I could not sit and look in a microscope all day and bless those people. We have a we have an amazing vet tech that teaches ClinPath and she is a great teacher and she loves ClinPath. Loves it. Yes. We were actually in my my community college episode. We chatted about basically the same thing that you love it or you hate it. There's not really a gray area. No. So <laughs> it's good to know other technicians feel that way as well. And it's not just not just me. Yeah. And then they also do anesthesia, pharmacology, and then anesthesia in that semester. So they are actually getting some hands-on experience. We have, we have animals that, so let me talk just briefly about the animals that we use in our program. So we have a couple of different uh, programs that we use. So for the non-invasive techniques, we have what are called pet professors. And those are owned by faculty and staff in the College of Veterinary Medicine. And they come for non-invasive. So handling and restraint, that kind of easy stuff. So mostly dogs and cats. Oh my gosh. Are you saying the animals are called pet professors? Yes. Oh yes. my gosh. That is yes. so amazing. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> oh. And the wonderful thing about it is, so I was an owner of a couple of pet professors. I had a pair of sibling have or I have a pair of sibling cats and their name are Mac and cheese. And oh, they were pet man. professors. I know. <laughs> I wanted to be cool, right? So the nice thing for the owners then is that we get free, free wellness. So okay. they get their vaccinations, they get their flea and tick preventative and all of that stuff is covered. So that's super nice. Um, and then they get their tests every year, Feluke and a heartworm and all of those things too. So it's super nice for us as owners, but they come in and are all the non-invasive sorts of things. Okay. Um, and mac and cheese retired after last year because they had been doing it for four years and, and it, it became less than <laughs> less fear free, less fun. Less than fear free <laughs> at my house to catch them. When, like, how do they know, right? Every morning is the same, but the morning they were coming in, they were like crazed and yeah, I chased cats. them around the island one morning. I'm like, this, this we can't do this. <laughs> They're retiring from their They're short re- career as professors. Oh, yeah. man, that's too cute. Yeah. So then the other thing that we have, oh, and Kendra, I'm not going to remember the name, but these are dogs that are owned by the, by the college, and they are, they are new every fall. And they are amazing. This, the veterinary students actually are responsible for walking them for 30 minutes twice a day, for training them in all of the standard obedience training and the socialization of these dogs. And so then at the end of the school year, they get adopted out to homes. Those 
guys. And the reason I thought about this is because those are the ones who we use for our anesthesia labs. Okay. Because the students get to practice anesthesia. They're in teams of three. So one student is the anesthetist for the week and the other two do dentals. So all of those dogs get dentals before they, before they graduate from us and that yeah. spring. And then we also do some humane society. We do work with the humane society then vaccinating dentals and all of those to make those animals more help those animals become more adoptable. And so that's where students get their experience doing anesthesia. So we're not doing anything unnecessary to anybody. Um, okay. And we're, get, we're giving a benefit to them and the students get some experience. That's awesome. I'm still kind of hung up on the pet professor thing, but it, that's great that you guys provide that, you know, the community college I chatted with did the same thing where you guys as, as schools are providing new opportunities and new lives for these pets. They, they leave their spayed, neutered, dental currently done vaccines, other testing. And then like you mentioned, the socialization is invaluable as well. You know, the obedience training and just learning to be around people again. And so that's great. That's great to hear that your program is involved in the community in that way. Okay. That kind of wraps us up then for that semester. It it looks like according to my curriculum here. So now we're going to go into our first summer as a a student. And so what does that first summer look like? So first summer between year two and year three, we have two six-week rotations. And so half the class stays here after the spring semester and does six weeks. And all they do is rotations, five days in the veterinary teaching hospital, rotating through, again, all of the different areas. Um, So half of the students are here for the first half and the other half are here for the second half. So that's a 12-week slot. And of course, there's 15 weeks of summer. So there's three weeks in between them that we call vet vet tech student appreciation time because there are no vet tech (laughs) students in the hospital. And so everybody learns what it's like to not have them there. We also, in that three-week window, Kendra, we offer two study abroad opportunities that are specific for our veterinary nursing students. Um, So not a requirement, but an option for them to travel to two places is is what we've done currently. So the first one is Guatemala. Um, They go to Guatemala with about 10 other students. It's faculty-led. We have a relationship with a wildlife facility down there. So the students go to Guatemala, spend about 10 days with this facility, learning about all of the, they do a lot of husbandry stuff, but they also, because we've worked with the organization, they know that our students have some clinical skills. So they get to do some stuff, a lot on birds. Birds, a few monkeys, but not very many. Most are uh, mostly it's bird stuff, some reptiles. So that's very hands-on. The students love it. I think to myself, Guatemala in the summer in the jungle oh, does not man. sound like fun to no me. No way. But they love it. They love it. The second opportunity we have is has only happened once because, of course, everything got canceled last oh, summer. Yeah. Um, But it was to Japan, and it was, again, a 10-day experience. It was a smaller group. I think there was a max of five students. And it was more of a cultural exchange because Japan doesn't quite utilize technicians the same way that we do here in the state. So it's much more of a cultural exchange or or opportunity for students to go. Cool. Fun international fact there for you guys. There you go. I just want to make sure, you know that I'm clear and and the information is clear regarding those rotations, the clinical rotations, man, if you have access to that great veterinary teaching hospital, I don't see any need to do a rotation anywhere else, but uh, that 
that is the requirement, right? That it's there in your own teaching hospital. We're not going out to other practices or specialty clinics or anything like that for these times. That is correct. That six weeks is here in the veterinary teaching hospital. And then it gives the student the opportunity then for the rest of the summer, if they want to get a job, if they want to vacation or whatever they want to do. But yes, six weeks, either right after spring or right before fall. Okay, so that's our summer commitment then between our second and third year. And then coming into fall, so this would be our third year there. So we did our first year with all our gen eds and science courses, second year with introduction to our medical courses. And now we're coming into our third year, fall of our third year here with more medical stuff. Yeah. What? Really? Yeah. So yeah, so they do lab animal in the fall of their third year. And and I would say that's kind of a hybrid between lab animal and pocket pets, right? Because they there is some crossover. Yeah. I mean, Lab animals are treated differently, but, you know, they do rabbits and mice and rats. And then we have some people who bring in some birds and some reptiles. So they get some kind of a little bit of taste of those different, what I would call exotic pets. Yeah. Then they do um, large animal and small animal nursing three. And those are really focused on disease processes. So those classes don't have labs any longer. They're really focused on the different disease processes. And the large animal one really talks about herd health, right? Because you're in large animal, you're really much more focused on herd health and prevention than individual animal. I mean, not that we don't treat them, but you want to focus on your herd health. Yeah, yeah. Nutrition, they have a nutrition class specific. I do want to talk a little bit about the class that's called integrations because it has a horrible name, but, um, uh, and the students tell us that every year, this is a stupid name. Yes, it is a stupid name. You know, um, you're not the first instructor and this isn't the first episode where we've brought up silly, silly class names. Um, in the Pima episode, they have a class called food and fiber, which is just absolutely ridiculous, but Anyway, go ahead. Wait, what do they learn about in food and fiber? Yeah, so Kelly was telling me that it's not really all large animal because equine isn't in it. So they don't really want to name it just like large animal, but it's not, it's like chickens too. And so, you know, it's just a, a bunch of different farm animals, big and small. And so they just decided to call it food and fiber. And I love it. <laughs> it's pretty I hilarious. It. So I what's your funny class? What is it? So, so our integrations class is really um, what I would almost call to some degree at, at, at in our third year, a, a capstone kind of course, because it's a really a case-based course. So students get a case and we, the instructor takes them through their thought process. So it's teaching them how and why we do what we do, right? So you get an animal in with kidney disease. And so you've got to remember physiology from kidneys. You've got to remember, you've got to learn abnormal physiology. We teach them to, we want them to know the mechanism of action of the different drugs, right? And so if you have an animal with kidney disease, what drugs do you avoid and why do you avoid them and how do they affect your patient? And even then, do you give them because the benefits outweigh what the risks might be? And so really helping them put together and think about why they do what they do, not just go do what the doctor tells you to do, but understand why you're doing what we call nursing interventions, why you do those and how to evaluate the outcomes and how to think about what could potentially happen. You know, we put a catheter in, we hook up IV fluids, we walk away. 
we think about and we monitor for is the catheter still patent? Are we are the fluids now going sub Q? You know, we think about all those things and we do them, but we don't always think about why we do them. So this class really and the students they get super angry because of course nothing is black <laughs> and white, right? Yeah. They have to provide their rationale. You chose this nursing intervention. Why did you choose it? And explain to me. And so I think it it's it's a challenging course because it isn't black and white. Yeah. But you know, Paige, you mentioned a really great nugget in there that I just want to pull out and isolate because this is kind of my own little soapbox that I have that, you know, credential technicians, this is the big distinction between a technician and an assistant is we're not doing it because the DVM told us to do it. We're doing it because we understand the why. That That's it right there. We understand yep. the why behind what we're doing. And so, you know, I just wanted to make sure to isolate that again because that's it right there. That's Andrew, you and, I sh- you and I should hang out on the same soapbox together. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I always try not to let that one uh, get too far sidetracked because, yeah, I, I could go on and on. But I yeah. always like to highlight it when it is just kind of naturally brought up. So, yeah. Okay. So integrations and then let's see. Oh, and so the, the big thing I didn't mention. So all these classes I just talked about only happen on Mondays and Fridays because Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday students are in rotations in the veterinary teaching hospital again. I see that. Okay. Okay. So in addition to all the learning you have to do, then there's all of the responsibilities in rotation because rotation often, while it's in the hospital doing those hands-on skills, they often have quizzes or homework assignments or different things that they have to do for those rotations. Also, again, challenging those students to continue to build on their foundational knowledge. I always tell students, like when we were in high school, when I was in high school, Learn it for the test and then you're done, right? You don't ever have to remember it again. Yeah. And you can't do that in vet med. And so I talk to freshmen all the time. I know biology and chemistry might not make sense right now about, but you've got to retain it because physiology is all about biology again. And then thinking about the drugs, pharmacology, again, some of that is chemistry and some of that is biology again, and how it affects and physiology, how it affects the body. So you really have to keep building. And so all of these different ways that we reinforce that information in clinics, when you see it on a patient, but then also with quizzes and handouts and, you know, video presentations and all of the different modalities that, that, that our instructors use to help students retain that information. Yeah, because the material just builds. So we've mentioned that several times over all of these episodes, guys, all of the instructors, they have the same consensus. It all builds. So make sure that, you know, we're not just cramming for the test today to forget it all tomorrow, because again, you, you cannot successfully complete step four if you don't even remember how to get started with step one. So have to make sure that we're, we're always studying. It can be the difference of life and death for your patient sometimes. So So true. I, you know, Paige, I just had a thought about when you're mentioning the clinical rotations and we talked about the, the pet professors and the, the on-campus resident pets. So how do, how do the clinical rotations then fit in with getting these other pets taken care of for anesthesia rotation and such? Are the anesthesia labs with those pets on the days that the students are in classes and then the clinicals are separate or how does all that work out? Hmm. So I'm not sure that I totally understand your question, 
but um, so the the pet professors and the dogs, those are used in labs only. Okay. So in the veterinary teaching hospital, we are a functional veterinary hospital. So there are peep clients and their pets that come to us for a variety of different reasons. The small animal hospital is almost strictly referral. So um, take something to your veterinarian and it's something that they can't do, they're gonna refer it to Purdue for you know oncology or ophthalmology or even you know a fracture that they don't feel comfortable repairing in a practice, dermatology, uh, neurology, cardiology. So we have all the ologies here um, <laughs> in the, and then also large animal side, will do a lot of primary care, but then we're also referrals too. So colics, left displaced, I should just say LDAs, right? Cause students yeah. should know what an LDA is. So a uh-huh. left displaced abomasum, C-sections, arthroscopy in, in horses, all of those different things that okay. you see in a large animal practice. Yeah. Does that, okay. Does yeah. That clear? It does. So, so we're in the clinics this year, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, but when we're in our normal classes on Monday or fr- and Friday is when we would see these anesthesia labs with the humane society pets or restraint labs with the pet professors, things like that. That's kind of how that lays out. So different, you're, you're kind of mixing different years. I am, I am. So second year, so the way it looks, if we look just at the veterinary teaching hospital, we have second years and fourth years are in the hospital on Mondays in the first semester. Oh, yep. That's right. In the I fall, right? With that. That's okay. Mm-hmm. So let's just stay. So if we stay in the fall for all mm-hmm. classes, so second years are in the clinics on Monday, third years are in the clinics in the fall, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Friday is a no vet tech student in the hospital day. Okay. Okay. And then, and our seniors, the fourth years are on Mondays. Okay. So then when we go to spring, our second years are on Fridays. Our third years are Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and our Mondays are no vet nursing students in the hospital. Oh, okay. Now, what's really nice about those days off a little bit is that um, uh, if a student is sick, or misses a rotation, then it gives them a day that potentially like after they get out of class, they could go do three or four hours and make up some rotation time that they've missed. Okay, perfect. Okay, yeah. So I think I'm all on the right page now here. With no pun intended, where, right? Where <laughs> Sorry. With where our um, sort of like colony animals, if you will, fit in with the clinic things. And, you know, I, another thing that I just thought of is this is absolutely amazing. Client communication is something that we don't learn in a lot of other programs that, for example, community college, they get their colonies of dogs and cats in from the Humane Society. These pets don't have owners. So we don't learn that part, collecting histories, being able to communicate effectively with the clients. So guys, that's another really invaluable thing that you're learning while you're going through this program. And this is mandatory. This is required for you to work in this clinic. Watch these very senior technicians interact with clients and see how they get the job done. So this is just another great added bonus in my book to have these required clinical rotations. Yeah, it's really, it's a really great model of how the veterinary team works together. It's a little bit skewed because we, we add students into it, right? So it's not just the veterinarian and the staff technician, but there's a DVM student and a vet nursing student. And so sometimes the vet nursing student and the DVM get to go do their thing together. Sometimes they do it separately or the vet, the vet nursing student is with the, the registered vet tech on staff doing their thing. So it, 
it's it's a great model, but it adds a little, there's a little murkiness when we get students in there. But right. yes, lots of client education experience, lots of abilities to take history and have those conversations. DVM students handle most of like the callbacks and um, other engagements with the clients, but we, the, our staff technicians do really well to help our vet nursing students get those experiences. That's great. Well, I think that we were on to kind of the spring semester of our third year. So coming into that and let's see here, looks like some more, more science stuff, microbiology, parasitology. (laughs) Yep. Yep. And if you loved ClinPath, you also love micro and parasit. And actually that is, I loved micro. Like when I was in school, I thought micro was like that little detective, you know, trying to figure out what you're growing in your Petri dish. So I enjoyed micro, never really enjoyed ClinPath or parasit. Yeah. Sorry, I'm on the same page that. with you. Yeah. 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 And then we have management class. So really that's talking about practice management. And it really is looking at it from a couple different perspectives. Employee, mostly as you as an employer, the student as an employee, they get a little bit of taste of more of the management side, but that actually happens more in their fourth year management class where they really start talking about HR and hiring and firing and some of those things. But third year, how to write a resume, how to write a cover letter, those sorts of things, because the students are preparing in that spring to go out on externship or what we call practicum for that following summer. Okay. Um, So rotations again, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then that's super awesome integrations, the second half of integrations. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Okay. So yeah, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday in our clinical rotations. And then Monday and Friday is when we would have the classroom and the lab And then we just completed our third year. So we're coming into the summer and this is where things kind of split off for us. So you have the practicum and I'm, I'm seeing on my curriculum here that your applied associated in applied science is granted at the end of the summer practicum. So that's where we either be done or coming into our fourth year, but either way you're doing this and these are outside of the teaching hospital. That is absolutely correct. So the AVMA or CFT, the Committee on Technician Education, and oh, I got, I'm going to get it wrong, Committee <laughs> on Veterinary Education, Veterinary Technology Education and Activities. There we go. CVTEA. <laughs> All the acronyms, right? Oh, we have uh, so many. So many. So they do require for every program that's AVMA accredited that they have an outside experience or an externship experience. So our practicum is what we call that in a long convoluted story as to why, but our practicum is essentially an externship internship, however you want to off campus experience. So students find that themselves. We don't do that for them. They find those any place they want to go. The main requirement, of course, is that there's a veterinarian and or a registered veterinary technician to be their supervisor. So I see students go many different places. We do, students can do that as a study abroad opportunity also if they wish. Uh, We don't have a lot of students that do that because 12 weeks overseas can be a little expensive. Yeah, the students, but we have had some do it. But that experience, again, registered veterinary technician or veterinarian. So some students go back to the practice that they did in high school. Some students go places that they would have never gone before. I love when a student goes to a practice that's never had a Purdue technician before, because it's an opportunity for that student to really showcase what 
our students, how well prepared our students are yeah. to walk into a job and get started and do things. And we make them do assignments in the practicum. So it's not just go out and do your clinical experience, but we have assignments throughout. So like uh, one of them is a protocol assignment. And so they have to do that three times, pick a protocol at the practice, look at it, explain it to us, critically evaluate. Is it, is it the right, is it being done the right way? And by, by that, I mean, like, look at efficiencies, look at patient care. So maybe they see something where all patients for surgery are anesthetized at 830, but the doctor doesn't walk in until 915 for some reason, right? He has appointments up until nine. So are there things that you can do? So they anesthetize, they clip, they prep. Can you do clipping before you anesthetize? Let's have that conversation about what's better for the patient and how can we make it better for our patients and better for the people we work with. So we want them to critically evaluate and then we make them talk to the supervisor about it. So you don't just get to write a paper and tell us everything that's wrong and how it should be fixed. But now we want you to go to your supervisor and have that conversation so that you learn how to have those difficult conversations about this is what I see. And this is how not being like critical, this is horrible, but this is how I think we can make it better for our patients and better for our staff so that we're all having a better life. Right? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's part part of the job, the very, very long job description of a veterinary technician is patient advocacy, making sure we are being efficient and keeping the hospital running on time and at maximum efficiency. So yeah, that's a great lesson in some real life stuff that I do see a lot of technicians struggle with when they get out. So that's great that you, you require that lesson while they're still a student. Yeah, they don't like it very much, but yeah. So they do that with a protocol. They do that with a management thing. So like an HR type of thing or an inventory type thing. They do a couple of those. They have to write a case report and they have to really talk about what their involvement was with the case, how it came out, what they could, what they've learned from it, what could have been done better. Um, and it can't be a simple case. It can't be just a spay or neuter. We want something that's in the hospital for a few days that they have to monitor They also, of course, have to turn in a log of how many hours they've done because we have to keep track of hours according to AVMA's requirements. So we really, and then we make the students do a pre and a post self-evaluation. So here's your list of skills. How are you? What do you need to work on? Share that with your supervisor at the beginning. And then at the end, we give them that same list and say, okay, how did you do? Great. Did you get better? That That's great. And self-evaluations, they seem... I recall from my days as a student, they seem terrible and awful and you just want to get through them. But, you know, if you take the time to be honest with yourself, your, your education is going to be that much better because you can say, okay, look, I really struggle with this skill set. I really need to improve this. Well, by getting that out into the open, other people know as well. Maybe they know a cool trick that will work a little bit better for you, or somebody can just pull you aside and say, okay, this is what we're going to work on. We're going to take this step-by-step and, and work on this skill for you. So please take those seriously, guys. It, it's only going to help you in the long run. Yeah. So August, when their uh, practicum is complete, then yes, all of our students graduate with their associate degree, Associate of Applied Science. Okay. And then this is where we get into that big distinction, right? So we're at the Associate of Applied Science. That is the minimum requirement. But now we can go on and take the fourth year. So first, Paige, I, I would just like to know in, in your opinion or your thoughts, what are the big advantages of just kind of moving forward with this BSVN and getting the bachelor's in veterinary nursing? So I think that's a great question. And um, I think 
the thing that I love about it, I think we talked before you started recording that I also have a master's degree. So I have a master's and a bachelor's in addition to my associate degree. And the thing I that's that's hard for all of us to understand at the age of 18 or 19 is that you never <laughs> know where the road is going to take you. Yeah. And so the first thing I always say to a high school student or anybody who's looking at doing this degree is one more year and you have a bachelor's. And that opens the doors for you in ways that you may not even know right now as you're in your in that educational process. So if you want to if you end up wanting to work for a pharmaceutical company, if you want to work at a research facility, if you want to work at a teaching hospital, if you want to get into pharmaceutical sales, all of those programs are all of those places are looking for people with bachelor's degrees. The other place I think about is the US government. FEMA is dying to have technicians to be a part of their organization to deal with and help with animals when there's a hurricane, right? Okay. Um, animal um food safety, all of those things that you don't always associate because we all think a vet tech works in a clinic with a veterinarian. Well, absolutely we do. But the door, the bachelor's opened so many doors to so many other opportunities. I would have never gotten the job I have today as an academic advisor if I didn't have an advanced degree, if I didn't continue to move myself forward. And I still, I, you know, people say, what do you do? I, I'm a vet tech, right? That's always number one. I'm yeah. A vet tech. <laughs> And then number two is I'm an academic advisor for for our veterinary nursing program. So I think to recognize that the bachelor's degree opens doors for you that the associate just does not is the big thing. Well, and just looking at this curriculum here, like you said, it's only one more year. And, and I mean, that, that's just it guys. It's everything on the road up to this point is exactly the same. If you're going to move forward with that bachelor there's no turn off before we get to this point. Literally everything is exactly the same. And then you get to the point, the end of this summer, you have your AAS. All you have to do is go two more semesters, two more semesters. That's it. There's no summer requirement after that. It's just two more semesters. And, and then you have this great bachelor's degree under your belt that, that like Paige said, will open so many more doors. And you kind of alluded to this when we were talking about the year three stuff, but kind of heavier into the practice management, which is, which is something that of course, with a bachelor's degree, you'd be eligible for, you can otherwise, but you would be more qualified, let's say, than other candidates. And then what are some other things that we would see in that year four that really bumps us up into that bachelor's category? So that's a great question. So I think that we do, there's a diet, what we call as a diagnostic instrumentation course. So that's really more of a deep dive into troubleshooting and working on other veterinary medical equipment. You know, a lot of uh. it we can't work on ourselves, right? <laughs> but when it doesn't work, how do you troubleshoot? Yeah, that's so, that's so cool because it is, you know, I worked in a practice where I was the lead technician and doing that stuff and boy, howdy, if I had a base on that, it would have saved me a lot of time. Right, right. So I love that course. We do a clinical toxicology course. So really talking about poison control, different things that um, you don't always get exposed to in the undergraduate or um, in the in the associate degree part of the program. Again, clinic rotations, our animal welfare and human animal bond course. Um, we have um, Alan Beck, who was one of the uh, 
uh, early names in the human animal bond who was uh, the starter of the, our program here. He doesn't teach any longer. He's retired, but really mm -hmm. great people. Maggie O'Hare following behind him. And so our students have access to some people that are really forward thinking in research and get a lot of information. We also then in the spring semester, um, we have the animal behavior course. So that's above and beyond kind of the standard animal behavior that everybody gets in an associate degree um, curriculum. And then our senior project. And so our senior project course is, a, is our capstone course. It requires that the students write a 13 to 15 page research paper. And it's really not as much of, it's not the students aren't out doing research, it's more of a literature review. So they pick a topic that they have an interest in. So say gliomas in dogs. So they do a lot of looking for literature about it. They, if they can, they do some clinical hours in our neurology place or somebody else's neurology place and get some clinical more experience. Then they write this paper, this literature review talking about, again, how veterinary nurses are a part of that. So it's not just spewing out a bunch of facts and information, but how do you as a veterinary nurse or a veterinary technician then impact those patients and help with those patients? And then they have to give a talk. Well, they can do one of two things. They can do a, a poster presentation or they can do um, a 15 minute seminar PowerPoint kind of or presentation. And a lot of students think that the poster is great until we start talking to them about, yes, the poster is great, but you're going to stand in front of your poster for three hours and you're going to say <laughs> the time after time as people come around to your poster. So, okay. so it's a big capstone project. The students put a lot of work into that. And every year I'm amazed at the topics that they come up with and the level, the areas of interest that they have. Um, and they work, they have sort of a, they have a committee. So they have a content expert, our director, and then usually one of the instructors in the craft. So they have kind of a three-person committee. So in some ways, it's almost like when you're working on a master's thesis. It's not that involved, but you have a committee that works with you on your content and making sure that you're, you're doing good scientific reporting. Okay. And what do you see with the students numbers at this point when we come into year four? We talked about you start year two with 30 students. Mm -hmm. So what do we look like coming to, into year four? So, and a little bit of a convoluted answer. So let me know <laughs> if it doesn't make sense. So we have a number of students that come into the program at second year who potentially have a bachelor's in another degree. So animal science, biology, ag, somewhere. But they want to be a veterinary technician. So the only way to do that, obviously, is they have to get their associate degree in veterinary nursing or veterinary technology. And so I don't ever encourage those students to obtain another bachelor's. I think two bachelors doesn't really get you much more. Okay. So those students often opt out of at the end of the associate degree and they okay. don't do that final year. So we will have 30 up until the, that summer between year three and four. And then we, depending on how many associate degree students we admitted, then that, that senior class drops down a little bit because those students matriculate out. Yeah. Or graduate. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's does that make good, sense? Yeah, it certainly okay. does. And that's a great point to bring up to, you know, a lot of us come to veterinary technology by way of something else. I, I myself have a degree that I'm using every day, bachelor of science in sociology and criminology, right? That's super <laughs> helpful. So yeah, that's a good point to bring up too. I also wanted to bring up along that same line is if someone does already have the associates from somewhere else and they're looking to get their bachelor's, 
is that something you guys can help out with or does the structure of your program kind of prevent that? No, absolutely. We do currently have what's called a BS completion. And so they would essentially do year one, chemistry, biology, math, English, all that stuff, and year four. Okay. And then graduate from Purdue with their bachelor's. So there are other more complicated things about that. Yeah, um, yeah. But, but even that's though, the general big picture, though, yes, is it's yes, possible. Yes. Okay. And, but also, let me just say, because I don't want to be held to, it's only two more years, depending <laughs> depending on the student and the life and what they're trying to do, it could take, you know, three years to, to complete those additional four semesters, just of how things are laid out and how life is. So yeah, that's exactly. a very individual student thing. Yeah. And, you know, all those science classes at once, if you're already set up working somewhere else and you don't have all that time to dedicate, that's that's a pretty big workload if you're not dedicating 100% of your time to school at that point. So that's a good disclaimer. I appreciate that. And I also wanted to, so we kind of covered your two-year program on our way to the four-year program, but I just wanted to briefly let people know that you guys do offer an online option as well. And I also wanted to know if there are any on-campus components or requirements for that, or if it is truly just an online deal where people can graduate from Purdue and maybe never have stepped foot on the campus. Yes. Okay. <laughs> okay, great. Well, but no, wait, let me, let me, let me, yes, that is correct. That We have an online option, the hands-on, it's the exact same content at the end of the program. So when you graduate from our associate degree on campus um, and the associate degree distance learning, they are the same years two and three. The courses and the are broken up a little differently. The content is delivered a little differently, but overall the same content and the same expectations. So there are didactic courses or book, book work courses for the distance learning. And then the hands-on skills happen in our clinical mentorship courses. And those take place in a veterinary facility that meet the requirements for each particular mentorship. So we have like a facility certification document. So okay. the facility has to say, yes, we have this and this and this and this. And they have to meet that for the student to do their skills there. And then students also get to have another skill where they have to videotape, which is oh, probably, or record mm-hmm. themselves doing the skill yes. and sending it to us for verification. Okay. But we hold our distance learning students to the same standards and the same skill sets that we require of our hospital, of our on-campus students. Yeah. So. So the example that I think about, and it's not one that we do anymore because CFT changes their requirements, but when we first started the program, every distance learning student had to do a jugular catheter in a dog. Mm-hmm. And that's not an AVMA standard requirement. It was, it was something above and beyond, but we determined when we started our distance learning program that we, were, we wanted those students to have the same education and the same opportunities to do things that our on-campus students have. So all of our students, whether they're distance learning or on-campus, we hold to a higher standard than what CFT requires we hold them to. Does that make sense? Yeah, you know, it absolutely does. And I think that that also speaks to your program as a whole and the reputation that you wish to maintain. You know, we talked about that in in the community college episode and a little bit in the private episode, private uh, college episode that you know, if you say I went to this college and you're in this city area, everybody's like, oh, what day can you start? We love your graduates. We want you to come work for us. And so, you know, that really makes sense to me that if you're going to have someone out there in the wide world that's saying they're graduated from Purdue, 
you want them to perform just as well as your on-campus students do. So that makes 100% total sense to me for sure. So that's great that you guys have that high standard all the way across for all of your students. Yep. So I, I just had a, a question that I thought of uh, while I was doing a little research here that I was just kind of curious about. Since you have that high interaction between DVM students and vet tech students, do you frequently see flip-flops? Like people who were maybe in the DVM program and they're like, eh, this isn't for me. Maybe I'll switch over to vet tech or vice versa. Great question. Um, <laughs> not... I, I don't know that I've ever known of a DVM who's DVM student who's decided to become a vet tech instead. We see a lot of students in pre-vet because of course Purdue has a pre-vet program who wanted to be veterinarians. And then for whatever reason, money, time, biochemistry, yeah, <laughs> whatever, right? right? Organic <laughs> chemistry, um, realize that it's not where they want to be. And so that's where I talked about students who come from other programs on campus who may okay. have been pre-vet and then wanted to come to uh, the nursing program. We strongly discourage students from doing veterinary nursing if their true interest is to be a DBM. Because we are a program. It, so what this is what I say to students. If you wanted to be a human nurse, if you wanted to be a human doctor, would you go to human nursing school first? And they're like, well, no. And I'm like, then why does that make sense to you? Yeah. If you want to be an animal doctor or a veterinarian, why would you go to vet nursing? And, and in addition to that, our courses don't meet the prerequisites required to apply to vet school. Right, right. Well, I mean, vet school has the, those really heavy, heavy science courses, the organic chemistries and, and all that for for them. So yeah, you're right. None, none of it lines up. So why would you, but I was just, but I'm not saying it doesn't, ha- but I'm not yeah. saying it doesn't happen. Yeah. We do ha- we've had two or three vet techs who several years later ended up going back to vet school and becoming great DVMs. We've got one of our graduates who ended up, he's got a PhD in epidemiology. Cool. So, you know, he just went cray cray yeah. in a good way. Right. I'm sorry. <laughs> probably shouldn't say that. My sister would be mad at me. She was in the mental health field. I'm not supposed to say that. <laughs> Okay, so we talked about all four years of the program here and graduated successfully with our bachelor's degree. And so we're ready to sit for that VTNE because we got all of those nice gen eds out of the way right off the top with your program, which is, I think that's a really great setup. You just get them out of the way. They don't get in the way during the medical class portion. So, and I advocate for that regardless of what your program you're going into. When you're doing the medicine, focus on the medicine and don't get all caught up with these other gen eds and science courses and things. And so when you graduate from the bachelor's program, you're actually a veterinary technologist. Is that right? Yes. By uh, the definition of AVMA, a person who graduates from a bachelor's of veterinary technology or veterinary nursing is considered a veterinary technologist. Yeah. yeah. So I just wanted to throw that, that difference out there for you guys that, that it is a veterinary technologist. If you did go ahead and earn that higher degree for yourself, the bachelor's. Well, I think that pretty much wraps up everything I wanted to chat about. I did forget to throw my disclaimer in. I was so excited at the beginning. I just totally forgot to throw in my usual disclaimer here. You know, we were chatting strictly about Purdue's program today, guys. So if you look up any of these other 24 universities on the AVMA list and notice that things are maybe a little bit different. That's likely true. What we were getting at today is the big picture, something that you might see going to the university, the benefits here. And 
I mean, this big benefit with Purdue is just this clinical, the teaching hospital. I'm just blown away by that opportunity. I think that is just so fantastic. So there's my disclaimer. Anything else you want to add, Paige, before we end today's session here? I think, you know, you talked about a soapbox at some point in here, and yeah. I'm always, I'm always <laughs> going to get a little bit on a soapbox that I think is near and dear to all of us, and that's um, mental health and suicide in the veterinary profession. And I am a, a certified QPR trainer, so that's question, persuade, refer, and that is a uh, training to help people have conversations when they Well, what I tell the students when I'm training them and that is that this is about being human. This is about putting down that cell phone and making eye contact with someone and engaging with them. And I think that the thing that I love about the younger generation is that they are much more proactive about their mental health and their wellness than some of us older people. Um, And so I just want to encourage everybody to take care of themselves, to take care of each other. And it's never it's never a bad thing to ask for help. We're always helpers and we don't think we should but we do need to ask for help and we need to take care of each other. So my little, my little thing. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing that because it is something that's often seen as a taboo thing. And you're right. I feel like it's, it's sort of part of our nature as who we are as technicians to be the strong people and hold everything together. But sometimes we need to fall apart a little bit and, you know, you're the person, you're the advocate that's taking care of your patients, that's sometimes speaking for the client or answering their questions or addressing their concerns. And you cannot help someone if your cup is only half full. So take the time you need, find the resources you need to find. If you don't know what those resources are, reach out to someone. I mean, shoot, reach out to me for Pete's sake. I can, I can find someone for you, or I can lend an ear. And sometimes that's all it takes is we just need to get it all off of our chest and out there in the universe and do that guys, take care of yourselves. And what about a, like a tip or a trick that maybe you learned in practice? Uh, it can be something like that or that, that great mental health blip can just be it. If you would like Paige. you know, it's uh, unfortunately it's been a very long time since I've actually gotten to practice as a veterinary technician, but I think one of the things and I think we all know this rule, right? We never say it's so slow today. Or look at that, <laughs> look at that big vein. Because once you stay She's down there, <laughs> it's the kiss of death for everything, right? You're never, you know, I, so I used to work in large animal anesthesia. And so when you, when you hold off a jugular vein in a horse, it's like a garden hose. But my instructor called it the Alaskan pipeline. I remember, I distinctly yeah. remember that from my education. Oh, look at that Alaskan pipeline there. <laughs> But the minute you say that, you're you're not going to get a catheter in it to save your life. It's so. true, guys. She's bringing up the total superstition part of our career, but it is true. So true. Well, Paige, thank you so much for joining me today. This has just been, I mean, this has been a mind-blowing episode for me. I, I've had so much fun discussing your program with you, and I have learned so much, and I hope everybody else has too. So thank you. Well, thank you so much, Kendra, for having me. And I, my contact information is on Purdue College of Veterinary Medicine website. If somebody has questions or wants to reach out, um, we also have a pretty good presence on Facebook. Our, our web guys do a great job of keeping us out there and sending questions to us if they can't answer them. So please don't hesitate to reach out to ask questions about Purdue or to talk to me about mental health or just you need an ear to listen to because I am here and I love what I do and I love this profession. 
So thank you so much for having me today. Yeah. And thank you for providing that information for listeners to, to be able to get in touch if they need to. Well, that wraps us up for today, guys. Thank you so much for joining us. And you can reach me at KendraTheVetTech at gmail.com. And I also can be found on Facebook at KendraTheVetTech. Thanks, guys. Mm-hmm.